I am usually so sad to see them go, and I really am. I do prefer them, you do know that. But I'm starting to love you, which is good because I'm on my way out, man. We got our leader coming back in two weeks. So I'm just starting to like you, and I'm going to be, you know, back with my people, my tribe. But that's all right. Um, So Aaron will be back next week, actually. Pastor Matt will be preaching, but Aaron will join us for our potluck, which will hopefully be good. I mean, if it's not, keep that to yourself, because that'll be a bummer of a return for him. So we're excited to hear about his adventures and everything that this sabbatical has brought. But if you don't know, my name's Holly, and I am the children's pastor here. And so I do love those kids. But I am happy to be with us as we are finishing off our letter on James, which we've been studying for the majority of the summer. So let's catch up on what we've covered so far before we get to chapter 5, which is the last chapter in James. We know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? They share the same mother, but they have different fathers. James was not a believer in Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. And then from that point on, we know that James went all in. He became a really great and powerful leader in the early church, And we see in our Bibles, the letter that he wrote was to the persecuted and scattered church throughout Jerusalem. And the main reason that James wrote this letter is because the church had some issues. Unlike the church today, we got it all together, right? The church back then had a few issues. And so James addressed those in his letter. And his main point was that he wanted Christians to be mature in their faith. He wanted people, if they were going to say that they were Christ followers, to actually be actively following Christ. He said there needs to be some action, right? So James knows that theology, what we think about God, what we believe about God, is important, 100%. But he also knows that it should shape the way that we live, right? Not only is James pretty passionate about the fact that our beliefs should impact our lives, I think God is. In fact, I think it's safe to say that God isn't interested in our big thoughts. God's interested in our changed lives. And that's the idea behind James's letter. He echoes the beliefs that our ideas about God should change the way that we live. So what we know, what we've experienced, what we think, what we believe should change the way that we live. And so the last few weeks, several weeks, we've been studying James's letter together and hopefully not just studying it. Hopefully we've been able to take something and put it into practice. That's the point, right? We've talked about persevering through trials. We've talked about being quick to listen and slow to speak. We've been talking about loving all people rather than showing favoritism to particular groups or making sure that our faith informs our actions, taming our tongues, and how we shouldn't be people who judge or slander others. Which brings us to the final section of James's letter, chapter 5. And I will say the whole chapter is worth the read, but I'm convinced that I'm led to zero in on one particular part. So if you're following along today, we're going to start in verse 13 of James chapter 5. I know it's a book and I know it's summer, but if you have your Bible, you could open it. That would be good. Summer's starting, kids, teenagers. You might as well get a jump on it, right? And to give you a little spoiler about what we're going to focus in on for our time together, 
I want you to count, or maybe even if you have your Bible, you could take your pen or highlighter out, and I want you to highlight or count with me how many times James uses the word prayer or pray in just these few short verses. So James chapter 5, starting with verse 13, says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, in first service, I had somebody audibly counting. I appreciated that. How many did we count? We need to go back to school. We have a smattering of answers, and that's okay. I'm not here to teach math. It's not my favorite thing. I counted five. That's all right. You can cross-check me on that. I'm not the smartest person, so I'm not going to be the first. I mean, you guys might be right. But all I do know is he repeats it several times, right? We can agree on that. And what I am convinced of is in the Bible, when things are repeated, or when your parents say it, you should listen, right? There's something worth taking a closer look at. So let's look at it. I want to start with verse 13. And the reason why I think we can stop at verse 13 is because I think this verse encapsulates perfectly what it's like to be a Christian living on earth. Right? It says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now raise your hand if you fall into one of these two categories. Or you're sleeping, right? So three categories, sleeping, happy, or troubled. We're all in one of those categories today. We're either happy and we know it, so we clap our hands. Thank you. That's not actually what James tells us to do. He says, let us sing songs of praise. Or we're in trouble. And the word trouble here means to suffer misfortune or to be in distress. Like we're hurting emotionally. We're grieving. We're brokenhearted. We're going through something that's causing us pain. Right? And what does James tell us to do? He says, let them pray. So if I were to simply summarize what it means to be a mature follower of Christ, as James is trying to teach us, I would say this. Our lives are to be marked by prayer and praise. It's not the first time we hear it. Paul tells us, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, right? This isn't the first time we've heard this. In the days or seasons when life is hard, we need to pray. And when things are going well, we need to give credit where credit's due. We need to praise God. This is sort of the individual part of our walk with Jesus, right? Our personal relationships with God, no matter where we are on the teeter-totter of emotions and circumstances that is life, our mark should be people of prayer and praise through it all. But we know that there's more. 
Because we know that there's a reason we don't ascribe to be a vertical people. People that think our relationships are just us and God. Right? We know that there's very much value in that. That our personal relationships are ones to be nurtured and cultivated and worked hard on. But we also know that we were created intentionally, on purpose, by design to be relational people. Right? In relationship with other people. And I think God intends for us to take that very seriously. Specifically when he's talking about prayer. James says this in uh, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. What does he say to do when we're sick? We've got to call on our people. Right? James reminds us that we need to be praying with and for one another when we're sick. And then he talks about oil, and I know this gets really creepy for some people, right? Like anointing with oil. And then I'm thinking, why is that creepy for us? We're all about essential oils. We're buying that stuff all the time. We're putting that head to toe. We're healing. We're doing, we're doing the thing, right? We love essential oils. We're misting it. We're doing it for this. We're doing it for that. But then somehow when it's biblical, it gets a little bit weird. Like somebody touching my forehead and praying over me. That's kind of weird. But here's the deal. When James wrote this letter, oil was used for medicinal healing purposes. They didn't have like Pepto-Bismol. You couldn't just go to the store and get that. Right? They used oil for those purposes. But in the church, the oil is significant because the oil symbolizes the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Lord's name that people are healed. And the early church knew that. And I'm not sure... If you were aware, but we have what's called, what we have dubbed, a congregational care pastor here. Pastor Mel, right? Pastor Mel and Betty, they are a gift to our church. They really are. And what they do is they visit shut-ins, people who cannot get out of their homes to gather together in this space with us. They bring communion. They go visit people who are having surgery or people who have just um, gotten surgery and they pray. They pray for you. And many of you know that because he's been there for you. Now, the other day I was talking to Mel, and actually he was in a hurry because he was on the way to visit somebody and pray with them before surgery. And so I had just returned from Montana. I was getting the lay of the land. He was filling me in on who's sick, who he's visited. I said, my piece, which wasn't much because I don't know much of anything, you know. And so Mel was saying, hey, Holly, I am always willing to go, but I have to know. And that was simple to me, but I was like, man, you're right. We don't know because we don't tell people, right? We got to call on each other when we're sick. You're not a bother, Right? In the words of Chick-fil-A, it's our pleasure. It's the Lord's chicken. It's fine, to, it's fine to quote, right? We have people ready and willing and excited to pray. But we just have to know, right, Mel? 
There's something powerful that happens when we gather. It draws us close to God and close to each other. And it creates unity in the church, which is what we are supposed to be. And another way that unity happens is through confession. Frederick Buchner is a theologian and an author, and he writes this about confession. He says, To confess your sins to God is not to tell him something he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. There's freedom in confession. There's liberation. See, God already knows. He can feel the separation brought about by our sin. When we confess, he's not like, oh man, I can't believe they just ratted themselves out. They were totally going to get away with that. I had no idea. He's not surprised. He wants us to be able to breathe again. He wants us not to be so heavy. See, the thing that once led to separation can now be a bridge when it's confessed. And here's what James says in chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That verse is terrifying, right? I was fine with confessing to God. That's in private between me and him. Again, that's that vertical relationship. I'm cool. You want me to tell other people my stuff? Probs out. Like, not really happening. That creates a little bit of anxiety in me to have to share with somebody else the stuff that I'm struggling with, the ways in which I've sinned. But the beauty of living a life as part of a Christian community is that we don't have to carry those burdens alone. We get to confess to God and also to others. I'm not sure um, if it's just my child or maybe if those of you who have had a small child, but there's an obsession with big trucks, specifically the garbage truck, maybe because it's predictable and it happens every week, every Friday in my house, and I happen to have that day off. And so I get to experience that with my three-year-old, and I can hear the garbage truck making its way down the street, and I can always know that Dax wants to be part of it. So I will call out to him and I'll say, Dax, garbage truck's on the way. And we either take our position outside so we can see it up close and personal, or if the, you know, we're fair weather fans, if it's nasty outside, we'll stay beyond by the window. And we wait because there's something so exciting about that. Watching the garbage being taken and thrown into the truck and being hauled away. But here's the thing, Dax never wants to watch it alone. And I'm like, bro, I got stuff to do. I watched that last Friday. It looked a lot, like pretty much the same thing. And I watched it the Friday before, and I'm going to watch it next Friday. Like, I was hoping you'd be entertained for like four minutes by yourself, you know? But he wants me next to him, experiencing that with him. And this might be a stretch, but go here with me. I couldn't help but wonder... What if that was our attitude about confession? Maybe not one of joy and excitement, but of great relief 
as we get to stand next to somebody and watch the garbage from their life be hauled away. Right? It's gone. There's nothing separating them from God anymore, and we got to be a part of it. What an honor it is to be asked to be part of that. If somebody trusts you enough to say something to you that is big, something that's separating them from God or them from other people, and they include you in on that, that is something to hold and to keep and to honor and to celebrate. The experience is just better when we get to do it together. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. For us to re-engage in confession, which I think is kind of lost in the church today, we need to be courageous. And we need to be humble. And we need to be trustworthy. Because when somebody gives us that, they don't expect us to broadcast their sins. See, they said confess it. It didn't say broadcast it. It didn't say, hey, post it on the prayer chain without my permission. I'd love for everybody to know. Or, hey, go ahead and post it on Facebook. Yeah. You know why it's easier to say it to God? Because God doesn't have Facebook. God doesn't have social media. God's not a gossip. And so sometimes we use um, prayer we say, hey, will you pray for that? It's just an excuse to gossip. And we need to stop doing that. When somebody trusts you with some stuff in their life, that is not your excuse, even if it's well-intentioned, to include a bunch of other people in it. Even if you say, hey, I believe in the power of prayer, and so did they. And that's why they told you. And your prayers are enough. We don't need an army of people knowing their struggle. So church, we need to be trustworthy people. And that will bring us back to what we're called to do, which is to confess and to pray and support one another. I don't know if you know that I'm in a book club right now. There are three members of my book club. It's myself, Pastor Sarah, and the president of the book club is Pastor Matthew Spear. Um, he selected the book. He assigns us the page numbers in which we are supposed to read. He schedules our meetings. And then he leads our discussions about the reading. And the book he chose is called The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Philotus. NYC, he spoke there. So you, got, you teenagers know him. At the very beginning of the book, Rich is talking about the Christian community, and he compares it to redwood trees, which are the big, strong trees. And he says this, Redwood trees are centered and strong because their roots are robustly intertwined with each other. The roots often go only five or six feet deep, but they extend outward up to 100 feet from the trunk. Each tree is deeply sustained by the larger, wider system of roots that provides stability, enabling them to grow high into the sky. Church, did you know that we need each other? We need each other so that we can grow into the people that God has created us to be. But we need each other to help support 
especially in times of struggle. We need to become people who confess and praise and pray as central to who we are. But we need each other. And the cool thing about prayer is that no matter where we are on our journey, we can always be better. Right? Because it's supposed to be who we are. And so we've never arrived. And so I think there's some reasons that we don't engage in prayer. And therefore, we're being held back from being the people that really we're called to be. Here's the reason we don't engage in prayer. Number one, I think we probably don't pray because we haven't. We don't because we haven't. Here's what I mean by that. We don't pray because we feel guilty that we haven't in the past. Right? I make a New Year's resolution, let's say, hypothetically, to exercise hypothetically. And on New Year's, when that doesn't happen, the next day I'm like, well, might as well not start now. I didn't do it yesterday. Right? And then it becomes a slippery slope. This is hypothetical. It's not my life. Somebody else's. So it's a slippery slope, right? It starts to kind of invade in all other areas of your life because I didn't do it yesterday. I might as well not do it today. We don't because we haven't. Another reason is maybe we have an unhealthy fear of God, right? Unhealthy. We are supposed to fear God. He is different than us. We are supposed to hold him high. He's we are supposed to revere him. However, an unhealthy fear of God keeps us from him. Right? Some of us have poor examples of parents. When we've gone to our parent before, we have gotten maybe smacked. The reaction when you come to your parent with something hasn't been good. And so you're afraid to approach God with the stuff that's going on in your life because you're afraid of the consequences. You're afraid of the reaction. And if that's your experience, I'm so sorry. Because what you're missing out on is the truth that we have a good father. And that will never be his reaction. The only thing that you have to be afraid of is maybe a big sloppy wet kiss and a hug, which is also kind of, yeah, but you will never be treated the way that you may be experienced here on earth. Another reason is maybe we don't think we need them. My friend Sarah posted a picture on Facebook this week, and it said something like, need help? Not me, you know, and it's a man hoisting a couch by himself. The other side of the couch is propped up on office chair wheels, and he's like wheeling it by himself. That is my lineage. I won't even take credit myself. It's like where my people, that's who I came from. We are proud people. We are independent people. I am a strong, independent woman. I was raised to be that way, and I don't need help, and I'm not going to ask for help. But here's the thing I need to remember. I was created and so were you, to be dependent. We are created to be dependent upon God. And he has given us the gift of being in relationship with other people. He wants us to be dependent on him and his creation. 
to fulfill everything that we need. Another reason is it feels passive. We are people who want action. Right? We want it now. We got Venmo and Uber Eats and ATMs and fast food. We got it all right at our fingertips. And so prayer seems passive, like just sitting here and waiting. Right? Sometimes when people are like, I'm praying for you, I'm like, that's the last thing I need. I need somebody that, you know, when people are like, hey, I have no food. I have no, it's like, I'm praying, praying for that job. That's not getting me a job. That's not putting food on the table. Right? That's not calming my fears right now. Because we are impatient people. We want action. It's frustrating sometimes. Another reason we might not pray is because we are just too busy. Raise your hand if you fall in that category. category. It's like, I have a six million things to do today. I cannot take this time to do praying when I have all this stuff to accomplish today. Here's what Martin Luther says about that. I have so much to do today that I should spend the first three hours of it in prayer. The busier you are, probably the more we should be praying. Lord knows I need to pray for patience. The busier I am, the more people I see. And then it gets people and people get me impatient. And maybe you're the same way. Another reason we might not pray is they don't work. How many of you are parents in here? Do you give your kids everything they ask for? Somebody in first service raised their hand and I said, we need to talk later. We need to talk later. (laughs) No. You better hope I'm not giving my kids everything they ask or I'd have a three-year-old behind the wheel of my van every time I drive because he thinks he can drive. He's pretty adamant he can drive. You don't want to see that. We don't want to teach kids that have eaten, you know, Skittles and donuts and everything else for breakfast. We do not want that. Say no. Say no to that. When they ask for that for breakfast, say no. <laughs> right? We can't give our kids everything that they want or they think they want because we know better. We know more than they do, contrary to their belief. We know some more than they do. And so sometimes... The answer is no. And that's hard. And sometimes the answer is not yet. Or you're not ready yet, three-year-old. There will be a time for that. It's just not right now. Or it might be, I have something different planned. So sometimes saying no is actually proof of a parent's love not the absence of it. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't know how. Or we think we don't know how. Right? About 10 years ago, we were actually searching for a pastor before Pastor Aaron came. And I was charged with the responsibility to pray the pastoral prayer at the services. That was terrifying. And so you could ask my husband, Friday, Saturday night would be spent in my basement writing out a prayer and then typing it out because it had to look nice as well. And then figuring out a way to hide it from everybody because I didn't want people to know that I was reading it. 
I was worried more about my stage presence than I was my sincerity. I wanted to impress people and not bless God. I think this happens in all of our lives at some point. I don't know. There's something so cool about kids. Hopefully you've gotten that. At least I like kids, right? If nothing else, you know that. I've said that about 17 times. Here's the cool thing about kids. I think kids are so brave. I mean, if you think about it, every year at school, they get a new teacher. We're like, hey, you want to be able to play soccer? We drop them off at the field and just take off. There's your coach. They've never met him. Imagine, you go to your job and it's like, hey, new boss every year. And you just do it. No way adults do this, right? You want to sign up for soccer? You are a soccer player. Go. Here's your strange coach and all your teammates. Make friends. Have the time of your life. Kids are brave. Kids are braver than we give them credit. We throw them into situations and they thrive quite often. And then something happens. See, I've been given the honor of being like the prayer, the person who does the prayer, the prayerer. Yeah, that's not a word. At my niece's birthday parties, oftentimes I'm asked, will you pray before the meal? And it's always an honor. And then one year, I kind of thought Hudson was getting older. Hudson's my 14-year-old. And I thought, he can do this. He can do this. I'm going to pass this off. I think he can, he can take you know, ownership of this. And he did. And he just ran with it. He prayed for those little girls, and the little girls loved that way more than anything Aunt Holly could say. They loved it when it was coming from Big Cousin. And then one year, I remember the birthday was approaching, and I said, Hudson, just, just a warning. Like, you're going to be asked to pray. I don't even think they ask me anymore. They're just going straight to the source. And he freaked out. It was like, well, what am I going to say? It looks like a writer with writer's block. He was just furiously writing and crinkling up papers and scratching things off and worried about punctuation. And I'm like, brother, why are you worried about punctuation? I have seen your text messages at this point. We do not even use sentences, let alone periods or utterances that make sense. So we've come a long way. But he was so preoccupied with the exact right words and the punctuation and he said, that doesn't sound good. That's not right. I don't like how that sounds. And don't, don't get me wrong. I am a writer of prayers. I love to journal. I like to write things down. That's how it's usually in my notes section of my phone at this point, technology. But that's how my brain works. So there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But at some point, something happened. And fearless children become young adults and adults who now are afraid to approach the topic of prayer because they're afraid that they don't have the right words or presentation. And as much as I said it doesn't matter, it did matter. It's perfect, but it's not. We second-guess ourselves, and here's what I'm saying. God doesn't care. Have you ever heard the voice of a baby Right? This little cooing and giggling. And then we make ourselves fools. We're like, oh my, look at you. And they're like, get out of my face. I mean, I just want to commentate for a baby one day and be like, please, number one, take a breath mint, right? Back up, personal space. Because if we ever tried to do that with an adult, we'd get cold cocked for sure. As we should. 
With babies, we can do it, apparently. But there is nothing more precious than the voice of a baby just cooing and giggling and babbling on and saying nothing, really nothing. We just love their voices. And if you're a parent who has older children, you're like, oh, that little voice. Oh, I just love that little voice. And you miss that little voice that was incoherent and just babbling. But do you know that's how God feels about us? He just doesn't care what we bring to him. He just loves the sound of our voice. He just wants us to be in communication with him. I'll be the first to admit that prayer is hard. Right? I am busy. I've done all of those things <laughs> that I just listed off. I didn't just come up with that list arbitrarily. I felt those. I've lived those. It can seem intimidating or confusing or too complicated. But it is what our relationship with God depends on. Prayer is keeping company with God, and it involves both listening and talking. Just like any other relationship, if you have been in a relationship or are currently in a relationship, you know how much work it takes. Right? It takes commitment, and it takes determination, and it takes effort. As James is nearing the end of this letter, he makes mention of Elijah, who is a prophet in the Old Testament. And here's what he says about him in verse 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now the first time I read this, I'm like, James, okay. I've been irritated with James all week. Ask anybody that works with me. He's driving me crazy. I'm like, dude, get a thesis and let's like stick to the script, bud. But he's all over the place. He is all over the place. If you read this whole chapter um, back, you're going to see he talks about rich people. He talks about suffering again. He talks about making oaths. There's no smooth transition in between anything. He just moves on. And so I was like, okay, cool. That's good for Elijah. His prayer request was met. Three and a half years seems pretty aggressive, but whatever. Good for you. But then I kept reading it over the course of the week, which I encourage you to do as well, honestly. Repeated readings of the Bible is something powerful because the Holy Spirit convicts and compels and teaches something new each and every time that you read it. And even though I was annoyed, now I really appreciate this. I, I was like, seriously, I didn't say like lots of nice things about James. It's like, how'd this letter even get in this book? Seriously, this guy's driving me crazy. But here's what it says. There was no rain for three and a half years. And Elijah prayed again and the rain came and the earth produced crops. And I don't know a lick about gardening. I don't know much about food except how to order it and how to eat it, Really? But I do know that if you want things to grow, you need rain. But if we read over this really quickly, here's what we might miss. Verse 18 says, Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. See, rain isn't the only thing required for crops to grow, right? They also need seeds. And here's what I almost missed. Some farmer 
had the faith that one day it was going to rain again. In the middle of a three and a half year drought, day after day of no rain, no fruit, the farmer must have continued to sow seeds. Prayer sometimes feels like this. As if I'm sowing seeds into the dust. It seems hopeless. We don't get the results. God's not responding. Physically, it feels like nothing is happening. But spiritually, that's the farthest thing from the truth. We can't control the rain. We can only control our efforts. And I don't know about you, but I think we want to make sure that we have seeds in the ground when the rain comes. We need to continue to pray, to commune with God in seasons of dryness. We need to go to him in faith, knowing that there's going to be a breakthrough, that there's going to be rain. Faith is trusting in God, not trusting in the outcome. The goal is closeness, intimacy with a good, good father. It's not the perfect words or the perfect theology. It's about being in a relationship. And that relationship is cultivated through prayer. So I think we would be remiss to do a whole study on James and talk about how practical his his words are if we didn't actually put it into practice, right? James is teaching us that we need to be people of prayer and praise. And so in a minute, the praise team is going to come and we're going to sing a song called Gratitude because some of us are there. We're happy and we know we can clap our hands. We can also sing songs of praise because we are grateful. When we have no other words, we might just say hallelujah. And we're in that space today. And so we want to do it. We want to praise it. We want to practice this. And other of us, simultaneously, while people are singing, are like, yeah, I I can't sing that song right now. And that's okay. But here's what you can do, because if we're people of prayer and praise, you got two choices, people. We're going to either praise or we're going to pray. And so you can do that. You can do that right where you're at. You can come to these altars, which are nothing special, but I do think there's something that you experience that's different when you're bold enough to step out and to meet with God in just a different space. So maybe you need to pray for a breakthrough. Maybe you're troubled. Maybe you're brokenhearted. Maybe you're just going through something right now, and that's between you and God, and you just need to be here or be there. Maybe this is the first time and you're like, you know what, I don't really know even what she's talking about, but the Spirit's kind of nudging me to take the first step in my relationship with Jesus. I've never made a commitment before in my life. Hey, you can do that too. You can say today's the day and I'm just going to simply pray and say, God, I'm really not sure about all of this, but I'm sure that you're in it. And I think I'm just going to start my relationship through prayer. And I'm just going to say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. You can do that today. Others are physically hurting. 
And James tells us we can pray with you and we can anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord that you might be healed. And we get to do that as well. Pastor Matt will be down here and he's willing and ready to anoint you in the name of the Lord for healing. So we're going to just take a minute. And if you're online, the beauty about being online is there's a community there as well. You can type things in. People are praying. That, that, that group is a pretty faithful group. I see them praying for each other all the time. That's usually how I experience church, is through an online community, and that's valid. But there's something beautiful about being here and being able to experience it together as well. So the praise team is going to come. I'm going to pray. And then we can stand. We can sing. And you can pray wherever you're at, however it might look for you. But we all just want to take our next step in our prayer journey, in our relationship with God. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for being so faithful that we can come to you because you're a good father. We don't need to fear consequences or reaction because the only thing that you know how to do is to love us. And sometimes your answer for us and our prayer request and our desires is maybe not yet or no And so, God, in those moments, would you help us to be patient and understanding and trusting in your perfect plan? But, God, would you also help us to be faithful in our prayers because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective, and we believe that. God, we believe that you hear and answer our prayers because you're a good God who loves your people. So would you be in the midst of these moments as we gather, as we either sing songs of praise for the work that you've done or we bring about the troubles of our hearts, that we pray for healing in our lives, that we pray that we want to enter into a relationship with you, whatever it is, God, you know our words, you know our hearts. Our words will not be perfect. But would you help our hearts to look more like you? Would you help our hearts to be perfect? Would you help us not to worry about the presentation of our prayers, but the condition of our hearts? We trust you in these moments as we gather right now, as we go about our business this week. Would you help us to be people of prayer and praise?